0: It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast.
1: hello everyone and welcome back to another agriculture conversation here on the lane ag podcast thanks for joining us on our podcast platforms and also those of you streaming this live or after we went live on our social media pages make sure and subscribe to the podcast on our podcast platforms along with tuning in here on facebook twitter and youtube and for some time On the Western Ag Network, we have been following a very important story to Western public lands grazers, that being the U.S. Forest Service's pursuit to shoot a stray cattle in New Mexico from a helicopter. This first occurred in February 2022, and thanks to pressure to groups like the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association and other stakeholders, many thought that the Forest Service would back away from this lethal option of shooting cattle from a helicopter in the Gila National Wilderness. Well, we found out last week the Forest Service is not giving in to the pressure nor looking at science-based evidence of a stray cattle in the Gila National Wilderness. Today, we will be joined later on in our conversation by the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association President, Rancher Lauren Patterson. In addition, my colleague on the Western Ag Network, also with the Fence Post magazine, Rachel Gable, is going to be sharing her insight on this very important matter. She's been covering it since day one. And from the legal perspective, Wyoming-based attorney Karen Bud Fallon will join us. She's representing the New Mexico cattle growers along with other stakeholder groups in their effort to stop the U.S. Forest Service from creating a precedent that could have irreparable harm to public lands ranchers across The nation Again, it's going to be a very insightful uh, topic here today, a very important topic for Western ranchers, and it's not just impacting New Mexico producers, but producers across the West. So we thank you for joining us here today. When we come back, we'll be joined by the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association, Lauren Patterson, as I mentioned a little bit later on. But first off, joining us will be the one and only Karen Bud Fallon of Wyoming and Colorado's Rachel Gable, right after these messages. Working to preserve the ground for the next generation. Shouldn't your cow herd be built for the future too? Igenity Beef provides DNA testing for 17 critical traits on a 1-10 through scale, along with indexes and parentage. This tool aids in selection and management of commercial females and provides marketing opportunities to build your herd for the next generation. Use code radio to get 20% off your next Igenity Beef order. Learn more about Igenity. Go to neogen.com or call 877-443-6489. As we come back today for more agriculture conversations here on the Lancaster Ag Podcast, we are talking more about the actions that the U.S. Forest Service is going to conduct here this week in terms of killing a stray cattle in the Gila National Wilderness of New Mexico. Uh, we're joined today by my colleague, uh, Rachel Gable with the Fence Post Magazine and with the Western Ag Network, and Wyoming based attorney, Karen Bud Fallon. And uh, Karen is representing. Uh, the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association and other stakeholder groups that have been fighting against uh, for over a year the actions of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Forest Service, which initially uh, did a round of aerial gunning uh, a year ago at this time. But uh, as we look at this situation, uh, Rachel, I'm going to start with you uh, as a producer yourself, as an agricultural journalist uh what has it been like following this story for a year? Sharing the perspectives of uh, agricultural leaders, from the also the U.S. Forest Service perspective, what 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 really is has been the takeaway in, and and uh, in your process of really going through and seeing just uh, what this aerial gunning has uh, has done on the landscape there in the Gila. Well, it's,
0: thanks, Lane. It's really been an interesting process. I've been following this for. I don't know, well over a year, Uh, you know, this whole this whole uh, issue dates back to when a grazing allotment was abandoned and some cattle were left. And of course, the Gila Wilderness is very rough terrain. It's not um, it's not easy to gather cattle off of off of the wilderness. And uh, once that allotment was abandoned, eventually the Forest Service did away with the grazing allotment period and there was no one there. Uh, you know, the the ranchers that have the grazing allotment are the ones that take care of the infrastructure. They're the ones that take care of the water. They're the ones that take care of the fences and the corrals. And it's without those things, it's just rolled into this giant mess of having these cattle down there. And, you know, it's interesting because New Mexico state law, um, stray cattle are property of the state livestock board. They don't just not belong to anyone. They're, they're um, property of the state. So uh, it's a scary precedent, I would think, for any cattleman who is in a state where there is any public land grazing. Of course, I'm in Colorado. There's a lot of that. And of course, Wyoming and Montana, we see a lot of it. Um, I would think that any producer that is in that situation or even just watching um, would be very concerned about the precedent that is set by the Forest Service. It's actually USDA APHIS. that's their helicopter that's doing the actual shooting. Um, anyone who is not concerned with the Forest Service and the USDA shooting cattle from a helicopter on public lands, I, I think that's an incredibly dangerous precedent. And I'm surprised that this hasn't gotten more publicity I feel like we've kind of been jumping up and down, waving our arms and saying, this isn't just a New Mexico problem. This is a this is a working West problem. And I think it's time for people to to be paying attention to the precedent that is being set.
1: Now, as I mentioned, uh, at the beginning of February 2022, just over a year ago, that's uh, when the uh, initial aerial operations took place. Uh, Rachel, can you uh, uh, maybe do a little bit of a backfill on that story? um the images that we'll we'll share as well uh here on the uh, the live stream and the podcast as well what 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 truly happened there and uh and then then, then i'll include karen in our conversation of course too on that legal and <laughs> sure. things but leading up until 2023 uh what 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 went down in 2022 in terms of these aerial gunnings and what led up to that decision
0: sure it was about this time of year last year Um, The U.S. Forest Service said that they they filed their intention, their plan to aerial gun these uh, stray cattle and uh, that they gave very little warning. Um, I think like they got warning on Friday evening that they're going to start shooting on Tuesday. So it was a very, very fast decision and a lot of quick turnaround. And uh, Karen's team and the New Mexico stock growers and, and those other stakeholder groups Um, tried to get the shooting stopped and ultimately were unsuccessful. 65 head were shot from a helicopter. Now they had to make sure there were no brands on these cattle. And I've always thought it was interesting that they haven't ever given a solid number on how many cattle there actually are, but they're still able to determine ownership from the, the air, which seems to me like that would be extremely difficult um, several of those cattle were gut shot and were left to die very slowly um, cattle you know calves were left without their mothers bulls were shot and left in the Gila river uh, it was it was a mess and you know that's Mexican wolf country those carcasses were left and i think that brings up a whole, whole nother can of worms with, with park um, management be such a, a cause for concern as we look at wolf populations, especially in Arizona with the Mexican wolf, New Mexico, and then of course Colorado with the growth reduction. And um, the, them just leaving the carcasses to rot is is really troublesome for me. We were able to get a hold of some photos and we shared those pretty widely. And I think that they're very um they're good illustrations of how how gnarly this really is. This wasn't a a clean operation. And I don't know how it could have been.
1: Now a few weeks ago, I had the chance to sit down with Bronson Corn. He's president-elect of the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association, and and he shared his perspective as as a grower leader and the efforts that the association and other stakeholder groups have been uh, putting forward. And uh, joining us from Wyoming, uh, Karen Bud Fallon, uh, an attorney at law, there represents uh, uh, the rural community on, on multiple fronts with multiple issues that impact the livestock industry in particular. Uh, Karen, when, when you were first approached uh, by the New Mexico cattle growers and in the, in the other coalition of groups down that way with this topic. What were some of the red flags that you saw pop up immediately in terms of what the U.S. government was doing could ultimately set a precedent that was very dangerous for all public lands ranchers?
2: Thank you, Lane. I think the first thing that really jumped out at me was the fact that the Forest Service doesn't have any regulations allowing the shooting of cattle period. There's nothing in statute, there's nothing in their regulations, there's nothing in their handbooks. And so for the Forest Service to claim that it's got the ability to just to sort of decide on its own without a statute or regulation allowing it to act is really concerning to me. The Forest Service are trying to sort of split this thing because it is clear, as Rachel said, that that stray livestock, unbranded livestock, belong to the state of New Mexico. And the state of New Mexico has made it clear that they claim these livestock. And so the Forest Service is trying to say, well, they're not really stray livestock. They're feral livestock. And you say, okay, so what is the legal difference between feral and stray? And you don't get really anything that you can get your hands on there's nothing to say so that some other rancher can look at it and say, okay, here's the definition. I know what's feral. I know what's a stray because it's all this sort of touchy feely. I kind of know it when I see it, which is a frightening way, in my opinion, for any federal agency to act is to be able to take this authority and just make up definitions and not give the public, the producers, any chance to comment on what these definitions are. So that was really the first thing that bothered me. I think the second thing that bothered me was the tightness of time. And quite honestly, I think that that was intentional. I think that the forest service thought if if we give these people a chance to comment, if we give the court system a chance to work, there may have been a different outcome you give somebody three days notice and you have to go into court in three days, prepare all the documents. It's not like you can just go knock on a judge's door and say, can you hear my case? You have to prepare a complaint and a motion for temporary restraining order and have all the affidavits in place. And when you're talking about a small law firm going up against the US Justice Department, which is the largest law firm in the world, I think that stacks a lot of cards against the landowners and i i think that that was intentional to do it that way i think their documentation was ridiculous um they said that there's no environmental impact well shooting a bull in a river is an environmental impact i mean that's not very hard to understand But this latest decision, even though we have the pictures of bulls being shot in the river, the federal government found no environmental impact. And when you ask the forest service about it, their answer is we're using our best capability. We're gonna try our best not to shoot cattle in the river. We're gonna try our best not to gut shoot cattle. The problem is when you're when you're in a wilderness and so these animals aren't used to a lot of noise anyway and you're swooping in with a helicopter on a bunch of animals that aren't used to the noise they're going to be afraid they are going to take off running as fast as they can i mean we have a ranch north of cheyenne the truth is if you swoop in on our cattle with a helicopter they'd run that that's the nature of any animal and so to say that oh this is a quiet safe very humane operation just doesn't make any sense to any producer that understands how cattle work
1: now it was just uh late last week when the u.s forest service announced that they would be moving forward they have actually locked down the wilderness area Uh, to prepare for the uh, area's aerial assault, if we can call it that. That's going to start this Thursday, February 23rd and run for four consecutive days. Now, the Forest Service has been under a lot of public pressure from the the producers down in that neck of the woods, from the advocates of multi-use of our public lands and uh and just a few weeks ago i was talking with new mexico producers and they're like you know what i think the forest service is is really feeling the pressure uh that this is a horrible pr move as well and uh and then we we move into the situation where they they announce that yep we're we're gonna go in uh use the aerial method and, and we're gonna try to actually identify from the air livestock brands as well. But I, I do just want to cite the, the Forest Service in their response to uh, them carrying out the the the, uh, the uh, aerial gunning of cattle here this week. Uh, the service is uh, uh, citing that in 2020, they found evidence of riparian damage bank tramp trampling of streams overgrazing on stream banks and received several accounts over the years of a bull charging visitors in the wilderness and in my past conversation with uh, bronson corn with the new mexico cattle growers this is over a half a million acres or more and they're looking at removing 150 head of cattle um, uh, common sense would say that that's a lot of land for these cattle to be on and spread out uh, Rachel. From a journalistic aspect of things, as you do- do- dove into uh, this past week's news up until today, uh, what what were some of the red flags that you've seen in, in the the government's argument of why they want to uh, proceed with uh, with this aerial gunning?
0: Oh gosh, there's lots of red flags. I think the the biggest one is probably dates back to the history of the lawsuits that have been filed against the Forest Service in relation to the cattle being on the Gila. Um, the there's an environmental group that has sued the the Forest Service multiple times to try to get those cattle removed. And it's it's an interesting juxtaposition that an animal rights organization or an environmental group is the one calling for the aerial gunning and removal of these cattle. So I think that's interesting.
1: What group is that, Rachel?
0: Uh, Center for Biological Diversity and um i mean they're they're as much an environmental group as they are a law firm (laughs) they i don't know that you're an ag group or an environmental group if you have that many attorneys working for you i think you're a law firm but uh there's a long history of lawsuits there from the center of biological diversity and uh there's the photos that the forest service made these uh decisions on were supplied not by the Forest Service, but by the Center for Biological Diversity, which is another red flag to me. Um, I think the other red flag is in Colorado, where we have a lot of feral horses, I I can't imagine um, if aerial gunning of feral horses that were uh, unauthorized on the public lands or private lands for that matter, if the aerial gunning of feral horses or wild horses was ordered uh, what the backlash would be. So I think that's interesting. In the final decision, there were a number of photos of the overgrazing and I thought it was interesting. And this was the rancher in me talking. It was a, there was some overgrazing there, but there was no, no cow poop, which would say to me that perhaps it was the giant elk herd there down in the Gila wilderness, because there is a significant elk herd and there's um uh, a real lack of evidence about whether it's elk damage or cattle damage. And like you said, that's a huge area down there. And that's a lot of room for 150 head. Between 50 and 150 head is what Forest Service said. So 50 cattle on half a million acres is not many. Um, Another red flag to me was um, the carcass management, of course, in nearby Arizona, they're paying ranchers to uh, remove carcasses that in Colorado as they're making way through their draft wolf plan, carcass management is a huge part of that. And that's something that's really being pushed by a lot of the animal rights and environmental groups as something very simple that you can do to keep um, wolf and livestock conflicts from occurring. So from the rancher side, that really strikes me as interesting. And, And the other thing is just the timing of when things are filed. Last lane, I know I've given you 5 million things here, but one more. Um, I thought it was interesting. They said, if anything was removed live from the Gila, they were going to go ahead and um, have it brand inspected. And they were doing that as it's called for in their forest rules. And it, it was almost like they said, but we're just, you know, this is purely a, 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 I don't know, a, a gesture because these aren't actually livestock. These cattle are a unique and invasive species to the forest. So they're not actually livestock. So I think that opens up a whole nother can of worms too. If, if, Well, if they're not livestock and it's a unique and invasive species, then I would think that they would argue that they don't need to read the brands, but the cattle, even if they're not branded, still belong to the state of New Mexico. So it's just like this big circle of of who, who has, um, the right here. And it's, I thought that a lot of the forest service, uh, answers that they gave in their press. I don't know if it was a press conference or just when they announced plans to shoot, um, they are supposed to have 75 days. And Karen can say exactly from what point to what point, but there's supposed to be a 75 day period in there. And their answer, their official answer was, well, that's for the lawyers to talk about.
1: Well, and and bringing a lawyer back into our conversation with with Karen Bud Fallon, uh, where where does the Forest Service come up with the term unique invasive species in in terms of these astray cattle, Karen?
2: There is no statute or regulation or authority that defines unique invasive species. Um, Congress has defined an invasive species in its statutes There's no word unique in front of it and cattle are not included in that list in any way, shape or form. So again, it's the agency basically taking the position is, the law is anything that I say it is and I don't need statutory or regulatory authority to be able to to argue what it is. My guess is that legally, what the agency is going to argue is just, you need to defer to us. We're the experts defer to the agencies, which is, is really not satisfactory. I don't think from a producer perspective or any kind of layman perspective, because if things are what the agency says, it is you' the it, person is not put on notice as to what, they can or cannot do. And I think that is a very frightening thing for dealing with any federal agency, not just the forest service and the cattle, but when you're dealing with federal agencies and you don't understand the rules of the game, it makes it very, very difficult then for you to be able to do the right thing, which is what we wanna do
1: now it seems that maybe someone watching or listening to this conversation uh looking in from the outside that the forest service is just trying to push this through really fast uh they they don't want to get tied up in the legal aspect of things especially with a 75 day notification um are they just trying to ramrod this through, get the roundup taken care of, and then try to face the political or or, or jurisdictional backlash after the fact? Uh, I, I guess what w- what are your thoughts on that from the legal perspective, and, and what are the actions that your clients are are, are undertaking right now to try and, and maybe stop or, or halt this week's uh, uh, aerial gunning? Uh, c- can you share more on that, Karen?
2: Sure. Um- After the gunning last year, we entered into a stipulation with the Forest Service that said New Mexico cattle growers, the other appellants and the general public would have 75 days notice prior to any other gunning operation. In our view, we have not had that. The Forest Service sent out a scoping notice in, I believe it was late, December that said, we are considering all of these actions. We are considering how to take care of these cattle. We're considering roundups and gathering and doing nothing. And this is a scoping notice. So you as the general public send in your ideas. One of the things New Mexico cattle growers idea did is they put together several alternatives to gunning as a way to get these cattle out of the wilderness. They don't want the cattle in there either. They just want them removed legally and without such cruelty occurring to the cattle because dying via being gut shot is cruel, whether you're talking about wildlife, livestock, horses, or anything else. And so during that period, New Mexico cattle growers put together other ways to be able to deal with these cattle without this aerial gunning. The forest service has not responded to that. Instead, the forest service issued this decision at the very end of last week that said, we're doing aerial gunning. And what they've told the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association is after the shooting, we will then talk, which I just think is ridiculously illogical because after the shooting, there's not very much to talk about. Um, so we have problems with that. The New Mexico, without giving away too much in terms of legal strategy, which attorneys don't like to do, and they argue that their clients should not do that, the New Mexico cattle growers is looking at absolutely every alternative out there to get the student shooting stopped before it starts next Wednesday. They're looking at litigation. They're doing more political pressure. They are applying any way possible. And part of our plea to this, the public that's listening to you, Lane, is that that your listeners and readers help us. Calling the Forest Service at their office and saying stop the shooting is hugely helpful. I think we have to make this so uncomfortable for the Forest Service legally, politically and socially that maybe we can get them to confer with the cattle growers before they, the helicopter lifts off the ground rather than afterwards when it simply does no good.
1: Well, again, Karen, thank you for that insight. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, Lauren Patterson uh, will be joining us via the phone. Uh, He is standing by. We're going to get him connected to our stream here today. But first, a, a quick commercial break. We'll be back with Lauren Patterson along with Rachel Gable and Karen Bud Fallon right after these words.
0: When it comes to the beef business, there's no room for gray area. The decisions being made in Washington affect the future of the beef industry, the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Visit ncba.org to learn more.
1: And as we come back today, just a few weeks ago, we were able to catch up with New Mexico rancher and president-elect of the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association, my friend Bronson Corn, who really shed light on the history of what has led up to the Forest Service shooting a stray cattle from helicopters. And I just wanted to play this snippet from that initial interview, Bronson, that I did because it deals with with a celebration that the Gila National Wilderness will be celebrating in just a few months.
2: But the reasoning behind why they're wanting to do it this year will make you really scratch your head. And uh, (laughs) they have stated that they want to have the Gila Wilderness cleaned up for their 100 year anniversary in 2024. And that's the reason for this operation is that they're And it's not because of the riparian area. They're not getting any pressure from the Center of Biological Diversity. This is being pushed on straight from the Forest Service. And uh, that's the reason why, is they they don't want cattle, unauthorized cattle on the wilderness for their 100-year anniversary.
1: But uh, uh, Karen, I think it's important to point out that this is, uh, is this the oldest national wilderness in the nation?
2: Uh, Yes, Lane. This was the very first wilderness that was ever created by Congress under the Wilderness Act. And so the Forest Service is very proud of this particular wilderness area. And they're using that as one of the reasons because this is the centennial anniversary of that Gila wilderness.
1: Now uh, also uh, joining us, um... On the phone is uh, Lauren Patterson. Uh, He's president of the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association. And we we know how technology goes. Uh, You can't see him on the screen, but he is joining us uh, via the phone. He's pulled over on the side of the road, just like many of us have to do, trying to get service here in rural America. But, uh, Lauren, thanks for joining us here on on our conversation. But... uh, you know, we just heard Bronson talk about how they want to clean up the national wilderness. Since this is the oldest wilderness in the nation, they're going to be celebrating their centennial. As a producer, how does that make you feel, especially as you have all gone through the legal hoops of just trying to stop aerial gunning? What is your reaction when you read and find out about this is a tool just to clean up the park so they can have a little uh, uh, birthday cake and ice cream here for a centennial.
3: Well, it, I, I thank you today uh, for letting me be on, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of disgusting that, that ethics don't, don't matter to them. Uh, cruelty to animals don't matter to them. It, what's most important is like you say, a centennial celebration particularly knowing that uh, the likelihood of anybody going into this area for that celebration is extremely low. And of course, when we're talking about 200 heads scattered over uh, 166,000 acres, there's plenty of room for everybody we think, And, and although we don't believe that these cattle need to be there any more than the forest service does, we do think there's an ethical and and right way to go about getting those cattle out that doesn't include shooting them from a helicopter.
1: Now, obviously, uh, Karen has been working the legal side for the association and, and the other stakeholder groups. And that was uh, when I uh, spoke with our friend Bronson last time. Obviously, the, the, the cattle growers aren't uh, aren't just saying this is how it needs to be. You need to do this. You need to do that. You, you've as an association presented multiple options on how you all can work together with the Forest Service to, to try and uh, get these cattle removed. Uh, uh, could you share uh, a, a few of those examples of uh, just trying to have that open dialogue and I guess what's it like when it seems that this is all fallen on deaf ears?
3: Well, it's, it's very discouraging, especially considering that you know, we dropped our lawsuit last year and made a made a settlement, and kind of extended the olive branch out there to uh, to work with them again, and and try to resolve this in a in in a way that everybody's made whole. But uh, to know that that all those efforts are for naught, and uh, you know they're willing to shoot 200 more head, but. Uh, literally this is just population control these helicopter operations because they're not making the investment or the time to to make long term solutions you know lo- without the long term solutions you know we're going to be back at this again in 10 years and and with this new new process of aerial gunning you know we can expect more inhumane treatment of those animals in the future.
1: And, and Lauren, I, I do want, want you all to go on the record too as producers, because obviously USDA APHIS is, is conducting the, the aerial gunning, but as a rancher, that uh, you're not against aerial gunning, especially in terms of predator management and using that as a, as a tool uh, it is so important for producers across the West. Uh, but the 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 cattle growers just this is just not a fit uh, this is not an appropriate way to try and take cattle out of a region I, I just I, I don't want to give people the the impression that uh, uh, that the association is against aerial gunning It's just aerial gunning of a stray cattle.
3: Well and that that's right there's a time and place for that aerial gunning tool right but it's usually, the last ditch effort after you've, you've gone through and done feed traps or uh, those kind of are gatherings or whatever, you know, it'd be one thing if we were talking about the last 10 head of of five year old bulls that we know is going to be very, very difficult to gather But we're talking about 200 head including including baby calves in that number. And, and this is not the time nor the place to implement that tool.
1: And uh, I, I think that is important to point out that uh, the Forest Service will, if they see a cow-calf pair, they will they will shoot both the cow and the calf and, and not even try to, to, to round those up, get them to market, try to feed those in need. They, they will be shooting these pairs and just let them lay. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. Correct. It'll be all classes of of livestock that are out there. I mean, it won't matter if it's a yearling heifer that has a productive life ahead of her or a a five-year-old bull or a six-day-old calf. They're going to kill them all.
1: Now, I want to bring Rachel back into the conversation here. And Rachel, obviously, this this story has been so important to you uh, in the publication, the Fence Post, and also on on radio uh, with us here at the Western Ag Network. Um, How important is it for agriculturalists to share their story just like the New Mexico producers are? Because it seems, as we mentioned before, if this was a wild horse issue, if it was wild horses being shot from helicopters, uh, the, the press across the nation would be covering this 24-7. Uh, how important is it for us and ag media to, to cover this, but also trying to get this outside of the, the the New Mexico region and get this on the national news and continue to follow up on it a, as you have for, for quite some time?
0: Oh, absolutely. It's incredibly important because it's such a dangerous precedent. So much of the working West relies on public lands that uh, to to allow this to happen and have to, to allow the U.S. Forest Service to be able to go back later and say that, you know, they did it in the Gila so they could certainly do it in, you know, public lands in any of these Western states that, uh, I I would hate to see sheep that are, that wander off of private land onto public land or that don't get brought down properly in the, you know, there's sometimes, it's hard to gather. So I I just can't imagine allowing this precedent to move forward, especially given that USDA APHIS is the one looking through the scope and pulling the trigger. It just, it baffles me that they are um, thumbing their nose at the state of New Mexico. They're, they're not like, where are all of the animal rights activists on this? Because truly, uh, if in Colorado and I know Colorado is a little different politically than a lot of places, but if it, people don't even like helicopter gathers of horses. So I can't imagine um, even proposing that this be done um, in any other instance. And it's certainly not isolated to the Gila. You know, if it can happen there, then it can happen on public lands anywhere. So I think it's incredibly important that this story be told and and I'm I'm grateful that I've been the one telling it and I'm grateful that more people are are hearing it but I think you know you've got to we've got to keep getting this out because it's just ludicrous that this isn't major headline news.
1: Now Lauren back to you. Obviously the US Forest Service is a part of the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, I know you all have been beating your drums so loud, and and on the legal front, Karen and her team have been fighting on your behalf. Uh, has the Secretary of Agriculture even seen this headline? Has he responded, or does he refer back to, we'll let the lawyers handle this?
3: Well, I think he's seen the headline, by all means, because uh, we've been pretty vocal about it, and and we've had multiple uh, conversations uh at the washington dc level with our affiliate organization you know national Cattlemen's beef association in particular the public lands council has taken this as as high up as we possibly can and we we've had a senator here in the state that i know has spoken directly with uh, secretary vilsack it just seems like they've got this uh, idea in their mind and and we just can't seem to Turn it, even though we have public support behind us. We had legislative support uh, here at the state level, you know, and and uh, some of our representatives have discussed this not only last year but again this year. And then, of course, we've had that letter from the, the Western Caucus uh, of congressional congressional people, and and I I just cannot see. How we're going to go forward with this, but but you know we're gonna we're gonna back our ears and bite the bullet and uh, and seek a judicial way to stop this. And of course, Karen's been involved since day one on this, and and we appreciate her and her efforts. And and uh, but it's it's just, it just seems like it's a fight we don't have to make if everybody will just come back to the table.
1: And Karen. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, th- this is a short time span to to try to file an injunction uh, when they truly say just last week, well, we're going to do the we're going to uh, follow through with the aerial gunning. It's Monday uh, as of this conversation, the 20th of February. They're going to start uh, the aerial application on February 23rd. What what is that like in terms of a legal team working on this issue and just trying to to do everything on behalf of your client, all the options that they want to uh, proceed with. What what is that like in the walls of a law office in terms of trying to to just uh, to to follow every legal route available?
2: It is an all hands on deck situation. Um, You bring in I bring in other staff attorneys, other people that work on this luckily in our law firm we are all private property based working for ranchers and farmers so it's not like i'm bringing in a divorce attorney or a bankruptcy attorney to work on this we all understand federal laws and rules but just filing the amount of paper that you've got to file and making the arguments is very difficult but it's the situation we were put in we do our best for our clients every single day and we are going to make this effort the same effort this year that we did last year and for every other client at bud Fallon law offices
1: now lauren there's a lot of producers uh, watching this on, on our live stream on our social media channels as well as uh, my podcast the Egg podcast and A lot of them may be saying, why are we putting so much focus on this New Mexico issue? This is not just a New Mexico issue. It's a a public lands multi-use issue. And if you're a a public lands rancher in Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, anywhere where there are land leases uh, to graze livestock, this this is important because this is we, we're trying to prevent a precedent here. What What is your message to your fellow public lands ranchers out there about why they need to pay attention to this and why they should maybe even consider pitching in? Because legal fees are not cheap and uh, uh, we're going up against the government and, and uh, they, they can put, go through on all this stuff, it seems. Uh, what, what is your message to your fellow ranchers out across the West?
3: Well, I would. I would love for them to just consider this. You know, every one of our Western states and in particular our US uh, Forest Service managed lands experience wildfires And, and right here in New Mexico, we had a state record breaking wildfire that was actually started by the United States Forest Service last year and it was the Hermit's Peak, Calf Canyon fire thousands of miles of fence burned down. We still have hundreds of cattle unaccounted for that have drifted within that million acres that burned last year. Um, some, of the, some of the cattle we'll never find, some of the cattle will end up in, in places hundreds of miles maybe even from where they originated from. And this can happen in any of our Western states. And with this as one of their tools for dealing with those cattle, um, it can happen in any state. And so, just consider that we're we're looking we're setting a precedent. But I don't think we want anywhere uh, that that we are us as producers or a, or Forest Service allotment owners. You know, we already have such difficulties um, already. And, and we have another national park, you know, we have what we call the Bayes Caldera uh, national park in, in Northern Northwestern, New Mexico. We already have, uh, unauthorized cattle issues there and the national park system just absolutely will not use or will not invest in outside fences and, and this is happening in the Forest Service. This is happening with BLM. This is happening everywhere, and we absolutely don't want our wildlife services used against us. And that's what we're fighting. So yes, if if you know as ranchers, if you would visit our website, uh, There's a Gila litigation fund set up there in our in our store and and you know if you if you only have five dollars we'd appreciate it but uh you know this is becoming a bigger state's rights issue as well when they just usurp our our livestock code with our new mexico livestock board and and the livestock board voted unanimously and their governor appointed members they voted unanimously that aerial gunning was cruel and inhumane and and we have that in our statutes now here in, in new mexico and, and like I say they are ignoring us on every front the forest service is so please if you got like I say if you got a few few dollars to send our way we are not a rich organization or association by any means but uh seems like we got this battle to fight and we're going to fight it the best we can
1: Karen, is there anything else you would like to, to just share with our audience today about uh, the legal efforts or, or just the importance of, uh, uh, of groups like the New Mexico cattle growers and, and other stakeholder groups coming together to support not only this issue, issue but uh, multiple issues that, that impact uh, public lands grazing? Actually, I'll, I'll ask you now. I know we'll have a lot of viewers in Montana Obviously, there there is a lawsuit uh, that a coalition of agriculture groups, including the Montana Public Lands Council, the Montana Stock Growers Association, and others, in, in terms of uh, a change of use from cattle to bison on grazing allotments in Phillips County, Montana. Uh, uh, that that's another issue that could set a, a precedent that could impact uh, uh, grazing in, in our rural communities. Could you just share a little touch on that, and then we'll we'll bring it back to our New Mexico conversation.
2: Sure, that's a case up in Phillips County, Montana, where the BLM has, in my opinion, arbitrarily determined that bison, even though they're not managed for production, can graze on a BLM grazing allotment. And anyone that has studied the Taylor Grazing Act, which is how BLM grazing allotments came about, know that that statute was aimed at production livestock. The entire purpose of grazing allotments was to stabilize the livestock industry and to stabilize these rural communities. And that history of the Taylor Grazing Act and that original purpose has never been changed, even with the Federal Land Policy and Management Act or the Multiple Use Sustained Yield Act. Yet the BLM all of a sudden decided that it could simply lease grazing AUMs to bison that are being treated as a wild herd, even in their own literature, and just going to be allowed to graze as start of a entire Buffalo commons. Again, allowing the BLM to simply change grazing allotments to this wildlife commons, this Buffalo commons is incredibly dangerous precedent. And I know a lot of your listeners knew my dad. My dad was Dan Budd, very interest, very much a part of the livestock industry. Most people knew him as an old cranky rancher. But he would always say, if we don't hang together, we will surely hang separately. And that is my message to livestock producers across the West and even across the nation. We have to do better at standing up for each other because otherwise we're gonna get picked off one at a time and one at a time until there's no one left to stand with you and you will just simply die alone. And if we hang together, if we work together, if we support each other's causes, if we understand each other's issues, whether you're in Montana or Washington state or New Mexico or Arizona or my state of Wyoming or anywhere in between, we can band together and protect our way of life and our rural communities and have something to pass along to our children. And that's the key.
1: Well, thank you for, for that, Karen, and also for your words of encouragement as well. Uh, Rachel, I'll, I'll give you the floor as well, and then we'll wrap up our conversation with, with Lauren, who I know is pulled over on the side of the road. Uh, but, uh, uh, Rachel, I guess what, from, from uh, the start and following this, this important story for, for Western ranchers, I, I guess, what are some closing thoughts that you have uh, uh, with, uh, for us here today?
0: Sure. Well, I think it's important to realize and to remember that this is really a problem of the Forest Service's own creation by canceling the allotment where the cattle were. And um, by doing so, all of the infrastructure there has made it uh, difficult, if not impossible, to gather these cattle. And I think it's also important that to recognize that the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association has really um, bent over backwards and has offered multiple reasonable solutions to remove these cattle humanely. Uh, You know, there's no one who, you know, the shepherds are the ones that care for cattle and it's the same thing in this case. They don't want those cattle shot, but they also recognize that they're unauthorized and they don't need to be there. But uh, the U S forest service has uh, let reason go by the wayside and they're, they're bound to determined, to shoot those cattle, and I think, um, I think it says a lot that the cattle growers have offered so many reasonable solutions, and and I know it's been a long drawn out process, and there's a lot of history to this, but I think it's very important that um, that this precedent um, be slowed down because, boy, it's it's just incredibly dangerous, and I think that um, it's just ludicrous that. That this is the solution that the forest service and the usda uh has have decided upon even though it goes absolutely against state law so there's a lot to unpack here but at the at the end of the day it's a dangerous precedent
1: well and with that lauren uh from your perspective as as a volunteer leader there with the new mexico cattle growers association um obviously this is why folks join associations and pay dues is, is to have a voice uh did, did you ever imagine that this would be one of the the top issues uh through your presidency there with the with the cattle growers
3: well absolutely not you know and and it it happened rather quickly i was made president in december and and in you know in the first february of last year bam here we go with with a. A nationally recognized issue, and and uh, I never thought I'd I'd be so heavily involved or that it would require as much time uh, as it has. But it's an investment I don't mind making because I'm just like a lot of people. I've got a daughter that you know she she shows great interest in ranching, and and she would be the fourth generation of my family to do it here in New Mexico, and and I also own a U.S. Forest Service grazing allotment, uh, myself that we we manage and operate and steward, you know, on a daily basis, and and so I, this hits very close to home for me, and and uh, just like a lot of producers out there, you know, we we face our challenges in the public eye uh, as an industry and and with uh, public land use, but what i will say is covid-19 gave us the podium to educate the 99 percentile that doesn't have a hand in agriculture and and this is one of the one of the things public land use we are stewards out there every day and we don't get paid to do it we do it because we love the lifestyle and we love what we do and it's our calling and we do a great job producing beef for the american consumer and so so we have the moral high ground here we have the the ethics we have the science behind it and you know we've had a year to prepare ourselves since last year when we had you know just mere hours and so uh, we have a much better standing this year as we go forward over the next few days and and it's a fight we've prepared ourselves for but uh you know i won't lie karen is completely right we need to hang together we hang we hang separately so uh so please you know keep us in mind as you move forward through your day and through the next week but uh it's a challenge that uh, i accepted when when uh when New Mexico cattle growers members uh, selected me as president and and I hope I've uh, lived up to their standards of uh, plain spoken integrity, so.
1: Well, again, thank you to Lauren Patterson and for his leadership, and also just the work that the New Mexico cattle growers and the other stakeholder groups have uh, put forward, and and uh, getting this message out there, and and that's what Rachel and I are just trying to do a little more up uh, across the West and and also on that national platform. So, uh, Karen Bud thank you for joining us. Rachel Gable and Lauren Patterson, thanks for uh, for uh, sharing a little more before uh, before more action kicks up here later this week.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks, Lane.
1: Thank you, Lane.
3: I appreciate your efforts.
1: And with that, friends, that will do it for this agriculture conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast with the Western Ag Network. Until next time, I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and nordlandcommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.